This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes. Until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental and more. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, Alice Pod fans, it's JR here. Burt's Babes, Hoddle's Heroes, even Decanio's Dozens. We've had some iconic lineups in our history at Swindon, just like the legendary menu at McDonald's. Parkin' or Austin, sweet curry or barbecue? Why not get a McNugget share box to enjoy the debates with your mates? And thanks to book delivery, every drop-off could be a home win. Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points too. No one wants to drop points at home, and with tasty rewards to earn, you won't be missing out. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. What happened out there? Uh, well, you know, it was a team effort, and I guess it took every player working together to lose this one. Rogers is streaking ahead, and he's onside. Beautiful play! That is that! Like a shot! Oh, my goodness! Oh, my goodness! Far post for Shearer. Goal! McLaughlin has it. Oh, deflection! And a goal! Catch to Mitchell! Shut up, Jeff, for goodness sake. Another week, another late loss described by Swindon Town as valiant. Well, I've just looked up the definition of valiant to confirm what I already knew. Valiant, adjective, possessing or showing courage or determination. Well, the hosts certainly showed those traits over 90 plus minutes, but Swindon Town crumbled in the latter stages to lose yet again. And it was coming. I'm sure the LS Pod enthusiastic contributor for this episode will show plenty of courage and determination for this one. Here to talk about Hartlepool United 2, Swindon Town 1, it's Dan. Dan, I'm so sorry. Valiant, Dan. Thanks for that rousing introduction, Rich. We need you on the uh, halftime team talks to try and make sure we uh, finish those games strongly, eh? Oh, wouldn't that be something? <sighs> yeah, we're we're on the Zoom today, so we're going to try not to interrupt each other as we talk, because that will make the edit much, much harder <laughs> for me. But let's start with some listener contributions, starting with Jimmy Legs, just to really give you a, a mood of this weekend. It has shifted somewhat in the 24 hours from full time, but Jimmy Legs says... We're lucky we banked enough points early on in the season. Otherwise, we'd be in real trouble here. There is something deeply, deeply wrong with this team from top to bottom. Worrying. 
CJ69 says, Groundhog Day. Mentally and physically, this is the weakest Swindon Town team we've had for many years. Robert Marsh says, it's utterly dreadful. Again and again, the same rubbish. Tom Elliott says, awful. Outplayed and outfought by a very poor Hartlepool team. Our form has been relegation level since January. James Fraser says, poorest side since Roy Greenwood led the line and the midfield revolved around Gary Emmanuel. And finally, Mutley, who says, we're shit. We're useless at the back. Without Williams, we're useless in midfield. And without Austin, we're useless up front. Oh, it's it's a tough, tough time to be a Swindon fan, isn't it, Dan? Yes, <laughs> quite simply. Um, this season has, well, we're past unravelling. We've unravelled. What's there left to save? Let's just hope we can find some of these green shoots that I've, I've been talking about and others are clinging to because um, we desperately need something. Uh, as it's ticking along at the minute, it's yeah, you kind of think, you know, conceding four at Rochdale, come on, we're going to bottom out. This must be the bottoming out. Some encouraging fight shown against Stockport with 10 men for the majority, but then back up here, same weaknesses in terms of character, leadership, dare we say fitness towards the end of games. Um, and it just just felt kind of inevitable that we were at least going to cock it up and let them get it back to 1-1. And then unfortunately we kind of had the the Sutton repeat. Another another Hartlepool goal made it a truly, truly miserable afternoon. But really, I mean, we'll talk about the game as we go, Rich. And we had enough chances against a poor side. And I, I'm not being too mean there. Look at the league table. Look at how Hartlepool played in the first half. We had enough chances to make that 2-0 and completely deflate our hosts and wrap that game up. But there's just such an inevitability about our late-in-the-game collapses. And it seems to go hand-in-hand hand with your 29-year-old mid, 29 midfielder going off and your 33-year-old centre-forward going off. He seems to do most of the defensive headers too. Oh, yeah. There's there's a fair chunk that needs fixing. There really is. Still, good news about the fan engagement. <laughs> we own the ground. We're seventh. We're in the playoffs on fan engagement. In oh, no, that's sustainability. Sorry. We're in the playoffs for sustainability. Well, hey. And what are we? We're championship level in terms of fan engagement. We're uh, we're not in the top 20, but we're, we're in the 20s. And we say, hey, that's something. Dare to be Exeter City. Okay, well, let's Ooh. let's start with the lineup for this latest horror show, kind of. Bryn in goal, Hutton, Tomlinson, Brewitt, Blake Tracy at the back, then Khan, McEachran, Williams in midfield, Shade, Austin, Hepburn, Murphy as our attacking options. Tomlinson and Blake Tracy, that was their second game since returning earlier than we expected them to, whilst Tyree Shade had just completed about 8,000 miles of travel, having been away with St. Kitts and Nevis um, over the last week. I, I'm going 4,000 there, roughly 4,000 back. So that's that's quite some travelling. Uh, you just get this feeling because a lot of people are identifying, and we said it last week, that this 11 with 
arguably Lavinia aside and you know what with Wakeling out it's our strongest possible and I think that's what Morris is just going to keep doing now there's a lot of people that want us to sort of ditch the loans start thinking about next year play Minton <laughs> play Dwarzak etc but I think this is what we're going to get for the rest of the season and, and until it's it's done until the last couple of games it's probably fair enough. Yeah, um, I agree with you. It's probably the strongest team we could put out. I, I feel a little bit for Lavinia. He's um, a good player, promising player. So it'd be nice if we could find a way of uh, getting him in the eleven. But unfortunately, for the time being, he is kind of twelfth man. But you know what? Before kickoff, I looked at that side, Rich, probably like you, and thought, you know. Today's the day. This will yep. be the Kickstarter. That looks a reasonable 11. You know, in some sort of shape, that should function. Defended pretty stoutly last week in the face of a, a difficult afternoon from minute one. And why, why isn't it working? Because I, I was having this chat with you offline earlier, Rich, wasn't I? About going through that 11... It's actually a lot of players I like, a lot of players I rate. Sol Brin, good goalie. Only thing I moan about, he's not great coming off his line, not great in the air, but he's a young goalie and he's been really good this year. Hutton and Tomlinson, you know, two good attacking fullbacks there. The only thing you probably grumble about is a lack of size. Um, Blake Tracy, excellent committed defender, captain material. He's in the team next year. I like Khan. I like McEachern. Um, Williams is a very talented player. I do think he needs to give us more than than he does, but he's definitely a good footballer. But again, Khan, McEachern, Williams, small, small, small. And then up front, I like Hepburn Murphy. I think he had a great game last week. I think he was man of the match today. Sorry to spoil it for, for later, everyone. Um, and Charlie Austin, one of our best forwards of the 21st century. So, why can anyone get that side functioning? And I've kind of made a nod to it as we've gone through. You look at the age profile, you look at the size profile of that side. And in League Two, as we're seeing week after week against some of the poorest sides in the country, Rochdale, Hartlepool, Crawley in December, you know it. We get beat up week after week. There's almost a, an arrogance about the business that Swindon have done from last summer onwards to think we're better than this league. We don't need to make a nod to the physicality demands of this league. We don't need to make a, a nod to the, the set-piece defending demands, the height demands. And frankly, we're having to take our medicine now. We really are. And... Because that that eleven, with an Anthony Grant in midfield and a monster centre half and a focal point centre forward, you know that eleven. <laughs> there's loads of guys are like I cannot fathom why we can't get this functioning well. What can, can I have your thoughts on that, Rich? Oh, if I if I knew, I, I would <laughs> bottle it and send it. <laughs> signed delivery that's right Dan 
sign delivery to the county ground and say, there you go, you're welcome. It's very frustrating, isn't it? And we're dealing with such whirlwind emotions within the fan base because Saturday, although I wouldn't say it was toxic, it's as frustrated and resigned as it has been all season long. And then as Sunday rolls in, people will start, well, you know, Rome isn't wasn't built in a day. I just someone needs to tell me when it was how quick was Rome built because just so I just use it as a marker. Um I, I do I do get the 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 system that there are plenty of players in that eleven that w- will be here next year or should be here next year and it won't be a bad thing. So when we're playing like we are, especially in the latter stages, there's something going wrong fundamentally behind the scenes. And that's not like the men in the offices, you know, or anything like that. It's something in the changing room, something in the day to day, which isn't working, um, which we will discuss as as this episode goes on. Before we go a little bit bleak, you mentioned it before, like we didn't get many man of the match suggestions. We only got a couple but Rashawn Hepburn Murphy did get the listeners man of the match. He's getting our man of the match because he scored so early and it was a lovely finish. Let's show some love for Rashawn Hepburn Murphy. We we did a bit, little bit last week without really recognizing it, but he, he, he can be proud of what he's contributing to the lineup at the moment. It's not, it's not like world beating sort of stuff, but in a, in a side that is fundamentally failing, He's given it as all, isn't he? Here is Williams again in that pocket of space that Rob talked about on the left-hand side. Good run from Hepburn Murphy who shoots and scores a superb goal from 25 I touched on it earlier in this pod. I thought, given the task at hand last week, playing 89 minutes with a man short against a good Stockport side, a really solid, horrible Stockport side, he was the only real spark throughout that whole match um you know there is something to be said you know because he probably is the only guy in the side with pace once you remove Wakelin you know he does stand out in a good way as a threat because it's a very bland Swindon side I don't think we've got the blend right back to our previous points about why it isn't working um my fear is if you took Hepburn Murphy out of this side against Stockport and up, up at Hartlepool, my God, it would be a really insipid, one-paced, flat side. Um, so, no, massive credit to Hepburn Murphy, who is now, I think we can categorically say, fully fit and firing. Uh, and that is just, you know, hard work, playing games, getting up to speed in the, on the fitness front, having a bit of luck on the injury front. That's been the thing that's hamstrung him. Um, so no, I, I think what you're seeing here, it you know, if this if this period is an extended trial for a lot of these guys going into next season, then you know, Hepper Murphy's pretty near the top of the list on those contract renewals because it would be such a shame to have invested this amount of time and you know injury room and physio effort to get him back fit just for someone else to benefit in the summer. That would be that'd be quite galling actually. Oh, I hope they've started that process. <laughs> um, track record of, of this era in Swindon Town doesn't fuel me with much confidence. 
I look forward to his announcement video at Cambridge in the summer. Do you reckon Cambridge? <laughs> well, he's been there before, I don't know. I'm, I'm just plucking a club out of the sky, but keep him because he is a very exciting player in a very one-paced, quite easy-to-read squad uh, from an opposition point of view. So he is that lovely bit of random... He tries things that other people don't. And just, yeah, counter-attacking threat. A clearance can become a free ball for, for Hepburn Murphy. And I think over the course of a League Two season next year, where hopefully we're going to recognise the foibles of this year's recruitment and play to the league um, that we're in physically, um, he's going to be a real asset. Yeah. I, yeah. I'm fully in on Hepburn Murphy. Good. I mean, injury record, plenty of people are hammering for the injury record. And if he pulls a hamstring next week, you know, you'll see all the lazy arguments again. Get rid. It's pointless. Jordan Lydon. But, you know, call a spade a spade. He's our most exciting player at the minute. Simple as that. Certainly is. Oh, boy, boy, boy. But early goal, lovely finish. It, it, it's all part of the Groundhog Day feel of Swindon Town lately, isn't it? You know, oh, yeah, we've, we've taken the lead. Fantastic. Lovely, lovely. And then later, well, we know what happens. But um, talk me through the opening stages because the first half wasn't all bad, was it? No. Um, of, the, of the two halves, I'm, I don't think it was a rip-roaring first half performance from Swindon, but I was sat there at half-time reasonably content given the sort of dead rubber nature for Swindon. Um, yeah, Hartlepool looked aside in, in 23rd. Um, Josh Umara up front was not as effective as the game at the County Ground back in October. You saw when he went off in the second half, Hartlepool became a better side, more dangerous side going forward. So we could have done with uh, him, him staying on, in all honesty. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I can think of one one hairy moment for Swindon at the back, and that was a set piece. Surprise, surprise! Um, big header, sort of hit the corner of uh, bar and post. But generally, most of the traffic was was going the other way. We had the lovely Hepburn Murphy um, shot from about twenty five yards, which nestled in the corner. Really nice to just see someone trying from that distance. To be honest. Um, really well executed. Um, we we very nearly had a repeat of Hepburn Murphy to Austin uh, up at Rochdale, um, and Austin for whatever reason didn't slide in at the back post. Um, if he had, then uh, he would have had a, a lovely goal. A um, couple other nice moves: Austin layoff into the path of Hepburn Murphy, who side footed wide via a deflection. Let's think about this. What else happened in the first half? No, fa- we fairly, fairly comfortable from a, a Swindon perspective. Played some nice stuff. Um, the times we did get Williams on the ball in, a, in advanced positions, you generally had the runners in front of him in shade and Hepburn Murphy. Um, and with a bit more of a sniff and instinct, then I think Swindon might have got goal too, but yeah, if we could have played that half out again, then it would have been a very comfortable afternoon. But opposition aren't just going to lay down and die, particularly when they're scrapping scrapping for their lives. 
at the bottom of League Two, a proud club like Hartlepool. Still waiting for that sigh. There were at least two moments there where I thought, <laughs> here it comes. That's what people are looking for. I was really impressed by Hartlepool's turnout, actually. You know, when for anyone that's been to Hartlepool, it's it's not known for its cauldron-like atmosphere. And when when I was looking at the footage and the highlights and, and during the game itself, I was like, oh wow, they they brought they brought some noise with them, which they really benefited and loved at the end. But that that was that was big. That was a big thing. I was expecting a stale, sort of resigned fan base, and you know, that that's understandable, but it it, it can play a factor behind what, what happened next. But like you said, Swindon were just not cruising, but comfortable and that their heads hadn't gone yet before the issues that Jody Morris raises in his post-match uh, where he, he he says pretty much that he knew we weren't going to win. He knew they were going to score, you know, and, and it's frustrating to hear that from a manager because you just think, well, fix it. <laughs> <laughs> but he obviously doesn't trust his, his fringe players because he only made two substitutions this week and he didn't think they, anyone else would make much of a difference. So, Oh, I'm I'm sort of spinning around here at the mm-hmm. at the moment, Dan. I'm, I'm, last week I was like, they can all go, they can all go, <laughs> be gone, and start again. And as the week has has gone by, and I include after the Hartlepool game, I'm just like, a whole new squad is not beneficial. We have to we have to have foundations, and I, I, that's where I am at the moment. Whether I whether I superate them or not, I will tell you, I've never cared less about a squad of players. There's not one player that I'm like, you know, I absolutely love, not necessarily in ability, just in like, oh, they seem like cracking lads or what have you. Um, it, I, I do feel completely detached. My love for Swindon, the football club will, will is unwavering. It will, it will not cease. But this squad, I'm just like, I shrug my shoulders, but I, I do feel that we, we do need to keep some of these chaps and, and bring in, others to replace who we lose but in terms of the first half it was just the same old what we've seen all season positive negative or everything in between we take the lead and we play the ball around and we come close to scoring second or we have we have our chances and we just we just don't take them yeah well to your point uh about the home crowd and how raucous they were towards the end of the game um, we should also make a nod to the over 400 Swindon fans who made that trip to the northeast. Um, you know full well, Rich, how far the northeast of England is from from Swindon through your uh, life experience. Dan Hartlepool's not easy to get to from Newcastle, let alone <laughs> from Swindon. <laughs> Windy yeah, roads. It's quite heartened to see groups of young lads, you know, going up to Newcastle on the beers on the plane from Bristol and. That's a journey. I, I, I've done a couple of times myself up to, well, for Carlisle mainly. But um, yeah, you know, it's still a day out. You're still with your pals. And it's a real shame Swindon couldn't finish the job. But I found myself bizarrely quite happy for Hartlepool as, as, as much as I was down for down for Swindon at the end of the match. You know, we're not going up. We're not going down. Um, and the atmosphere was, was cracking. My, my friend, the football copper, he was at the match and he said it's one of the best League Two atmospheres in the second half. He's been part of, in his 
his time either following Swindon or policing Swindon. And so some high praise there for the for the what was it? Four four and a half thousand poolies in the ground. Um and yeah, I mean had we have got the second goal in the first half, and the first half was much flatter from a a heart yeah. perspective, I, I think you know, you then would have seen the stale, the flat. The, res- the resignation to their fate. But because we didn't get the second goal and the second half is a sort of continuation of that, um, you leave the door open for the rousing comeback. But we, we had and, chances in the second half too, didn't we? Oh, for sure, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to try and pronounce the Hartlepool keeper's name, um, but he made one of the saves of the season from a sort of reactionary Brewitt header, sort of crossing from the Swindon left, couple of nicks off people, which made it a, a very difficult header for Brewitt. Actually, he did fantastically well to steer it to the back post, and the heart of the pool keeper stuck out a paw and um, you know, kept it out the goal. Unfortunately, Blake Tracy on the follow-up was was offside, and so the the move fizzled out. But ultimately, that moment there. Could be the difference between Hartlepool staying up or going down. It was a it was a fantastic save and very unlucky for Brewitt and Swindon because that that could have been the final nail in Hartlepool's coffin for this match. But yeah, you had other chances. Hutton played in on the right, um, failed to hit the back post. You know, with the keeper beaten, with all due respects, you had Khan sort of nosebleed territory played in on the left edge of the box, neither shot nor cross. Um, just sort of flashed across goal, which I, I think had that have been Austin or Hepburn Murphy, even Shade, you'd have fancied someone to do one or the other and not uh, Khan's 50p each way. Um, yeah, and, you know, there were there was definitely shades of Sutton away uh, where the Wakelin sub, Wakelin had the, the two sort of breakaway chances, both from very similar angles and both saved by the certain keeper. Had one of those gone in, again, we could be talking about a slightly different Morris Rain and a slightly different season. But <laughs> God, that seems ages ago now. That was only Valentine's Day, wasn't it? Indeed. In terms of Charlie Austin, there's been a few observations this weekend about the fact that we tend to concede once he's off the pitch and nobody can fault his work rate since he arrived. And he's had a couple of real sensational games that have been highlights of this season. The one I don't like to talk about because I wasn't there, Grimsby, uh, because I could get on the train. Exactly. And then, of course, uh, the Rochdale 4. But ultimately, the big return has been a failure thus far because we are tailspinning, we are free-falling, we are nosediving, whatever you like to call it. It's not working out. But do you think if Charlie Austin was able to finish games to fitness or whatever, then this prevents what we're seeing in the last five, ten minutes of games? I'm not convinced, but there is a pattern emerging that we tend to concede when Austin's not there, even if it's not, you know, even just if it's for him shouting at them and and orchestrating and, and leading them. It's a part of the issue is of this season or this tail end of the season is that we cannot get him to finish games. So I'm conflicted on this one. Yeah. Well, 
I, I think there's absolutely no need for the lens to come down on on Austin's body or fitness. He's 33. He has been uber committed and played basically every game other than uh, other than Warsaw where he came on. <laughs> you know, Austin's not the issue here. That this is a symptom of the fact you have a squad without adequate backup. I mean, even if Austin's on the pitch for the entire season, we've not had target man striker, focal point striker, whatever you want to call it. You could say Tyree Simpson slash Josh Davison, who we had for the entirety of last season. What about leadership, though? Well, I'm not even sure Austin going off is is a leadership thing per se. It's Mm -hmm. more of a... You like there's no faith in Jeffcott from a succession of managers, and I feel for Jeffcott and Austin in this respect because, other than a very brief flirt where we played four diamond two and played Jeffcott and Wakelin together in the autumn, and one of those games was the five two win, which seemed to herald this awful <laughs> relegation form period we've been in ever since. More of that in a minute. Um, Unfortunately, you've got strikers here, Austin and Jeffcott, who need a foil. And you can put Wakelin in that bracket too. He's been fudged out on the left or the right for much of the season, doubtedly doing his job. But every striker at the club, Hepburn Murphy, Wakelin, Jeffcott, Austin, don't even get me started on Adeloy. He's hopeless. Um, mean. And he's on a two-year contract, by the way. Um, every striker at the club needs a foil um, we didn't have a foil between August and January it was a massive gaping hole and then in the month of January we didn't correct it we had an eggs all in Austin's basket he ain't Superman nope. you give him the chances he'll score but he ain't Superman and so, no, I, I, I don't like the lens coming down on, on Austin in that regard. It is more a damning indictment on the age, size, profile and experience profile of the rest of the squad, which was built. You know, these were all conscious decisions to buy and sell players. These were conscious decisions not to reinvest in Curdy money on deadline day. I mean, what Jeff got came in on loan, didn't he, later that day? So, you know. Slight reinvestment there, but it's it's a real. I've said it a few times. It's a mess of our own making, and that's what makes it so frustrating. <laughs> because you know, every side we come up against has the type of striker we don't have. Mm-hmm. Even if they don't score the goals, just to have that option in your front five uh, set of forwards, like it's criminal. Criminal. I was saying it in the summer. I've been saying it all season. It's, it's what I said earlier. I think there's an arrogance. Yeah. We're above it. We're going to get <laughs> technical players. We're going to play better football. Blah, 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 blah. You're in League Two. Play to the league that you're in. Yeah. Yeah. I've said it a couple of times in recent episodes. I'm really looking forward to the end of the season review where I get a few of you. <laughs> to round table uh, the season, and whew, it's gonna be it's gonna be angsty. Um, but how long you got? 
I got time, man. I got time for this one. We might as well talk about the latter stages, the two the two goals Swindon conceded. The first one is a quintessential late Swindon Town conceded goal, is isn't it? I, I feel like I've seen that goal a hundred times in the last year or so. It's it just just like so inevitable, yet so preventable. Yeah. Um so I've I've well obviously I saw it live. I've seen it three or four times since. And I think there is just a real lack of recognition of the stage of the match and where the opposition's head was at. Because when you're playing a team in a dogfight like Hartlepool, in the 88th minute, you know, they're reaching nothing to lose territory. Of course, they're going to throw extra bodies forward. And so when you see Khan, Kaji, McEachern, our midfield three, who, you know, are the obvious three to help the back four out when Swindon are defending across from the left, None of them were goal side. And so that pile of bodies for Hartlepool in the middle, call it desire, call it, you know, skill, whatever you want. They were ready to be on the end of it and our lads were jogging back. Um, It was a really poor substitute appearance from Kaji. I can't think of anything he did redeeming over the, the 20 minutes he was on. Um... That was a good bit of January recruitment, wasn't it? Um, McEachern, you know, kind of left-footed Louis Reed. You're not expecting massive defensive output from him, but Khan, you know, I, I will be a bit disappointed with because he is your competitive kind of box-to-box midfielder. And, you know, you still had, still had the three lads probably stood on the halfway line. Um Shade, Adeloye and Hepburn Murphy at that point. Again, you've got to play the game. <laughs> it, whilst this is a dead rubber for us, it's not for Hartlepool. They're going to chuck extra men forward. Whoa, and whoa, yes, whoa, whoa, whoa. Now, I heard quotes at the sponsors' dinner that these games are not dead rubbers. Well, there you go. Um <laughs> <laughs> Football club appeases sponsors. <laughs> Not um, the hardest room to work. Is it? <laughs> um, so no, um, fair play to Hartlepool. You could see what it meant to their players and the fans. You know, straight back to the halfway line. And I said to my friend Keith at this point, "We'll lose it now," because as inevitable as the equaliser felt. And then you saw the ball go up with plus eight, was it, at the end? It felt inevitable again. <laughs> because yeah. there is just such a soft underbelly. We've had recent experiences of conceding like this. This is where you need leadership. And I know leadership is a word that gets banded around. And there's many forms of leadership. Mm-hmm. But whatever flavour of leadership you want, Blake Tracy can't do it on his own. Yeah. <laughs> and you've taken off your 29-year-old international midfielder. You've taken off your 33-year-old centre-forward. You've brought on Adeloye, who might as well not have been there, and Kaji, who might as well not have been there. 
for their contributions in the in the twenty minutes they were on or whatever it was. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. On the bench, I thought before the game it looked it looked weak. You've got Jeff Cott, who Morris doesn't want to use. Adeloye, who he you know probably feels obliged to use. No whip other than Lavinia, the fullback. Not played. Didn't even get on. Yeah. Um, Does, is there a concern there? Or is this a fitness thing? Because he's not getting m- much time, is he, at the moment, Lavinia? Well, Morris, in his public utterings, has referenced, you know, not wanting to rush certain people back, being careful with them. So maybe Lavinia is in that bracket. But he's far too talented a player. Mm. And I know talent doesn't pay the bills. Um, Don't I know it? <laughs> podcasting talent. Um, yeah, it, yeah, we're not a good enough side to not have him in there. If you know what I mean? Um, and late on in the game, you could have changed shape. You could have removed a forward player. You could have gone to a back three with Lavinia as one of the one of the wing backs uh, and acknowledged the fact that Hartlepool were going to do the northeast Alamo. But yeah, I don't know. Is there arrogance? In the management there, um, Morris lately has been pretty late on the subs. I thought he was late on the subs against Stockport. Yep. And that that kind of lack of legs as the game wore on, you know, you can't tell if it was the determining factor, but it, it's certainly a variable which, you know, is in a managerial, um, a manager's control. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah. Before before we go into the the individuals uh, <laughs> behind the current woes and the finger pointing, which we're not going to be doing really, but we'll, we'll be discussing certain bits and pieces because it's what the listeners are contributing. When was the last time we had a moment like what Hartlepool experienced in the latter? I'm I'm talking like proper, as the kids would say, scenes, proper limbs. I keep on thinking, is it Nathan Byrne at Bramall Lane? You know, I know we've had, like, Michael Doughty scoring two penalties in injury time, but with due respect, here comes the arrogance. That was Macclesfield uh, in a game we absolutely should have won. But in terms of, you know, Hartlepool alamoing it because they're in dire situation. In their in their narrative, they're in a dire situation. It could be Oxford. a turning point. Oxford. Away. Away. But we weren't there. But we weren't there, exactly. So absolutely um, not. Uh, I'm not having that. Oh, Conroy had her against Oldham. No. For the narrative was, and the delirium. That was just the signs towards the, the opposition bench and he gave back <laughs> as good as he's got. But I'm talking about that moment where maybe you're not expecting to get the goal. I think it's Nathan Byrne. That was a lovely, lovely moment in my life. Um, I'd like to relive some of that, please. <laughs> I, I but yeah, I just, probably... I just can't remember a time where we've all just gone, oh, that's why we do it. That's well, why we th- do it. There was a couple of notable ones um, against Sheffield United away. Uh, sorry, Sheffield United again, actually. Louis the Thompson, Thompson goal. The Thompson goal, yeah. That's scored the... late. That that's, was fantastic. That's the following season, isn't it? Was that the season before? It's the season, season before. before. Yeah. Um, Still burn. And I remember a late kind of double goal salvo home to Coventry. I think Miles Story got the winner. Yes, but that's McDonald. That's we have even earlier. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're going back here, Dan. Yeah. The last time it was just 
I've hurt myself celebrating sort of. Uh, let's see. I remember, did we come from 2-0 down home to Hartlepool? Yeah, but there's difference Jose between... Abica. Yeah, but come on. I'm talking about I, I, Yeah, you're probably here. right then. You are yeah. probably right in terms of big moments yeah, i've bullied um, you into just agreeing with me i'm sure there's probably multiple <laughs> but but I, I think i'm just talking about the stakes because for us that game meant nothing right as fans but for hartlepool fans it meant everything as you could see by their social media afterwards and the reactions obviously in the stands but us swindon i think the argument will be maybe the doughty two penalties at the start of of the uh the the, the brown two well in season, but I, I I'm not buying it for my for my Swindon Town arrogance. But I think we're playing Bramall Lane, the sort of place where Swindon don't win or or just fall to the superior team, the 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 the, the biggie, and to equalise and miss a penalty and then get a last minute winner. That for me, that's the one. Um, I'd love to hear. Uh, but that was so long ago. <laughs> that's the thing. Was it eight years ago? Oh no! Eight years ago, and we were wearing magenta. <sighs> it does feel like a very, very long, long time ago, doesn't long it? Long time ago, yeah. right? Um, post game, Swindon Town, Swindon Town lost two one, as we know. Post game, Jody Morris said, "Well, it was the same old stuff, really. We looked fragile. He wasn't confident at one nil. Made poor, naive decisions. That's the players, not him. Uh, need strong character and mentality." Uh, lost second balls, lost shape, looked nervous, yada, yada, yada. Uh, we criticised Scott Lindsay on this podcast for sounding and looking like a broken man after losses and during post-match interviews. And Jody Morris is no different. In the interview that he gave the Swindon Town uh, official official content, he looked just buried and this is somebody who's just 11 games in i'm really worried i'm not i'm not calling for his head i do think he needs to acknowledge a few failings in his tenure but i'm really really worried with how just his negativity you just look at him and he just looks like a beaten grinded down guy already when he should be, you know, I always cite Danny Wilson. Danny Wilson was the king of looking exactly the same, win, lose, or draw, poker faced. And now we've had two head coaches in a row. Even Sheridan knew it. You know, Sheridan had that sort of passive aggressive, irritated by questions, but he was irritated when we won. He was irritated when we lost. But Lindsay and Morris just, they get so flat, don't they? Yes. Um, I would say there is a, a subtle difference between Lindsay and Morris, in, in my experience. And I think Lindsay looked like you just ripped his heart out and yes. thrown it over the edge of a cliff. I think yes. with Morris, there's a mardiness, but it's a slightly different energy. I think slightly more spoilt brat energy. Um, I play for Chelsea, maybe. Um, and again, we we were chatting offline earlier, Rich, from me. And let's see what our listeners think about some of this. But say David Artal had got the job, and it sounded like he was close. 
Yeah. With these same 11 results, I'm just having a look back on my whiteboard now. I'm telling you now, you know it, I know it, everybody knows it. Artel would be taking flack from all angles. Yeah. And Morris, being a name, and don't get me wrong, he's got a good reputation in the game because he's earned it, right? In academy and under 23 circles at Chouse, he was the daddy, right? Fair enough. But him being a name is definitely buying in time. And probably for the long-term future you know, and into next season, that's probably a good thing. As you touched on earlier, Rich, you know, you can't do revolution every single summer in terms of playing no. staff. You're going to need the lads under contract to be at least the frame of next season's squad. Hutton and Lavinia are under contract. Blake Tracy and Clayton are under contract. Khan, Kane, Darcy, yeah. Um, <laughs> Wakelin, under contract. Like, you're going to have to add to supplement, you, you're not going to be re- recruiting 25 new players. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, with, with Morris, because I think there is a very clear angst about the quality of the squad he's inherited and or been given or been sold a kipper. You know, we are, we, with our PR man hiring, now I'm sure he's able to put a good twist on, on most things. Um you know, Morris seems to be using his post-match interviews to take, well, I'll say thinly veiled, but they're pretty obvious, swipes at the, his employers above him about the state of the squad, the lack of experience. You know, he has you know, had bad luck with injuries, definitely, but those injury excuses are now, you know, draw a line under that. Who are we actually missing? Iandolo and Divine long-term and Darcy and Aguirre. Add a niggle when we're ill. So that's four players. Wakelin suspended. You know, that's a pretty average, you know, club at this time of the season, number of players missing. So, yeah, Yeah. I would like to see from Morris a bit more bearing those grudges privately, inwardly within the club. I would like to see him take some responsibility because he has been here since the end of January. He has been working with these players for the best part of two months. Um, regardless of him thinking it's in an adequate squad, work with them, improve yeah. them. Big him up. You know, he doesn't yeah. big up his players, does he? He, he seems... Sorry to interrupt you. He, he seems to be quite happy throwing, you know, the players in great, you know, throwing the players under the bus. And that isn't a great look publicly, you know. Um, you know, grind it out, Morris. You're not above this. This is where you're at. This is the job you took in good faith, in your own interest and ours. Knuckle down. Mm, yes. There's one thing I'm not taking. One table that's been doing the rounds on social media is our form after we beat Mansfield away 5-2. It was a great weekend. There was a real vibrant feel about Swindon. There were warning signs in that game alone. We conceded two goals against, you know, they went down to 10 men and we really, we really hit them once that happened. But the reality is if the season 
which obviously it doesn't, but if you were to count just the games post-Mansfield, we would be second bottom of League Two right now. And the thing that I'm not having is, of course, that would include eight games under Scott Lindsay. There has been a fair bit of, well, turns out Scott Lindsay was good after all, um, rhetoric from from some sides. And I just don't agree with it. I mean, those eight games, those final eight games that he had after Mansfield, we won two, drew two, lost four. And the eight games that immediately followed his exit under Gunning and then Morris were won three, drawn two, lost three. And then we've spiraled since then. I would just, and I will say it at the end of the season, is we were tail spinning from late October, early November onwards. And if we listen back to the episodes, we'd probably sound miserable considering where we were in the playoff places, but it didn't feel that we could sustain. And it did feel that we were riding our luck a little bit. And again, I, I take no satisfaction. I want us to be in the playoffs. I want us in League One. But I'm not having this, well... If Scott Lindsay was in charge right now, we'd be in the playoff places because I think we'd be pretty much exactly where we are right now. I agree with you, Rich. Um, but social media, football fans, there's always going to be an element of revision, revisionist history, <laughs> um, particularly when you know people are just trying to avoid looking at what is at the club right now. And, you know, as we've just touched on previously, I, I don't think Morris is exempt, even if we're giving him a, a lot of leeway because, you know, we need some stability. We need, you know, Morris and Brand at the head of the ship going into the summer and then having hopefully a monster pre-season like we didn't have last year. Um, but yeah, the, the other things, you know, you're right, things we're falling off a cliff. But the one thing you can congratulate Lindsay on, despite the performances not being super duper, you know, there was an element of grinding out some pretty dour wins. And yep. what we would give for that same qualities now. And I think that's probably quite a lot to do with the fact you look at the players that left in January, 30-year-old centre-half, 30-year-old centre midfielder who also happened to be six at five, which was <laughs> useful. Um, creative holding midfielder. I, I, you know, Reed and McEachern are kind of cancelled each other out a little bit. But, uh, yeah. So now, I wonder how history will treat Lindsay. Because on the one hand, the football wasn't great. style wasn't great. We'd seen those the, the start of that decline pretty much from November 1st onwards. Mm. Um, but there was still an ability, and you have to give managers credit because you'll give them enough stick when it doesn't go out. There still was an ability to grind out results, which, as I said, snap your hand off for now. Yeah, yeah. But the rot, the rot had started. Oh, and January was a, a real doubling down in terms of yeah, recruitment policy, which yeah. wouldn't have helped Lindsay, and it's not helping Morris. And you know, whoever was in that seat 
given the time the manager was appointed in January, being able to have basically no input to that squad, which, you know, does that look like a fairly deliberate delay on Swindon's part now, if you're being cynical? We'll save that for May. We'll save that, save that for May. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, this is Jan Fjortoft and welcome. And I'm on Loath Strangers. But it's so hard for Norwegian. Love Strangers. A tweet by from our very own JR simply says, got our club back, loans, loyalists and last chances in the playoffs against the odds and kept hardly any of them. Doing everything on the cheap and hoping one asset turns a quick profit. Here's the result. Mercenary, myopic players with no faith in each other at all. So, I mean, in terms of budget, we don't really know how much Swindon to play, whether it's on the cheap. It certainly gives that whiff of cheapness at Swindon Town. I guess to end this episode, it's it's an opportunity for you, Dan, to get on your soapbox and have a good old rant. I'm giving all our enthusiastic contributors the the chance to do so before we we do the round table in may it's been a weird weekend because what we'll say it sandro de mckayley tends to get every other week off this was a week where if i read out every tweet in full there's a reference to sandro de mckayley there has been some defense for sandro de mckayley over the last 24 hours but it's fighting a, a a fierce tide it can't be all his fault it's it's quite unusual because he hasn't we haven't seen or heard from him for about two plus months now. But Clem Morfuni won't be immune from criticism now. I know he did great things for us two years ago, but that was two years ago. And now the decisions that the club are making under his ownership are resulting in us in stagnating and becoming worse on the pitch. Let's talk about on the pitch because yes, we've we've got the ground. We're clearing the debt. There's lots of things to nod and appreciate. But we're football fans, not admin fans. We want Swindon Town to be a good football side, a competitive football side, and preferably one that's no lower than the third tier of the EFL. Dan, say your words. Speak your brains. (laughs) Right, it's nearly cricket season, so this is Dan (laughs) off his long run. Um. We've got to start at the top. Much as we've spoken about Morris not being exempt from criticism, you know, Clem Mofuni owns the club without naming names and getting the podcast in any trouble. There are some hangers on mm-hmm. at this club, which at best have been badly explained. And at worst, there's something more sinister going on. And I don't know what that is. But in, for a club who love to bang on about openness, transparency, and they have done good things, advisory boards, etc. Some of the structure is there, but you've still got to use those meetings properly and have some proper scrutiny. Um, Clem is the man who employed Sandro Di Michele, because until you tell me otherwise, he's the man that owns the club. He's the man that employed our new technical director. We've never had an explanation of why Ben Chorley left. Uh, God, I miss Ben Chorley. Um, he's the man who continues to employ Sandro Di Michele. Um, and before we come on to Sandro, because we will, you have this culture 
which isn't an accident of cheap, cheap, cheap. And do you know what? Volunteers will fill the gap. And I'm not asking Swindon to increase their turnover to £7 million a year to do absolutely everything. But the things that are in your gift, Swindon Town, paying people fairly, running warm rooms, autism packs, right? It's like, it's almost like a Tory government. Strip it back, strip it back to the very skeleton of a frame of a club because the third sector, charity sector, volunteer sector will fill gaps. And, you know, Swindon Town have a very active and willing and super fan base who will fill those gaps because we're good people. We want to see good things done for the football club. And so I'm in no way knocking people who run disabled clubs, people who run warm rooms, people who want to make a difference in our community. And that is fantastic. But boy, oh boy, for the club that like to take the credit for a lot of these things, they could start, you know, bringing some of their professionalism to these um, initiatives. Sandro. Sandro Di Michele is a technical director who's been mute since the end of January. Now, and I distinctly remember, it sticks in my mind, I'll come back on the Monday night panel post-transfer window closing and won't we all be happy at all those fantastic signings we made. He's never been back on. I don't think he said anything public since. From what I gather from a couple of people who were at the sponsors' dinner last week, kept a low profile, I'm not surprised. And regardless of the brief Sandro was given and the man above him who continues to employ him, we copped up the summer, not just in terms of sign-ins, but in terms of how long it took to appoint our first choice all along, who was about to go and join Charlton Athletic as a coach. Couldn't agree, compo. So don't worry, Scotty, we'll give you a job. You were our first choice all along. And the fact that he even uttered the words, and you know, what do people call it? Gaslighting? The fact that they try and sell you that fib. Like, we ain't stupid. <laughs> Just tell us the truth. The first choice, likely Andrew Cross, fell through. And so we had to start again. Just people would have a lot more time if you just spoke honestly. Um, so we cocked up the recruitment in the summer. We cocked up the managerial appointment. Pre-season was not fit for purpose for a professional football club. Lack of games. Evidently, a lack of emphasis on fitness. Late signings in the window, meaning players are having to fit in and adjust through the month of August, which, you know, if you're serious side about promotion, not useful. You know me, Dan, I like my new players fatigued before the new season. Oh, God, remember all that. God, this May end of season wrap up is going to be fantastic, Ooh. isn't it? On, on Dee McKayley, Ben Chorley, the guy that you miss, he wasn't very front face fronting, was he? He was very much behind the scenes. So, is there any crime here that Dee McKayley has, has gone into the shadows, considering that the person he replaced was, was never out of the shadows, really, was he? Ben Chorley didn't need to be front and center because Ben Chorley did his job correctly. 
from what I can tell. Sandro, when he arrived, very smooth talking man, loved talking publicly, said some really daft things publicly, which is probably part of the reason the club have put him away. You know, oh, come and buy all our players. They're all for sale. Ah, give us money. Which, as a fan, we covered it on the pod. I don't want to hear that. Nope. I want you to drive a hard bargain. Yeah. I, I want everyone to not be for sale. So that when Peterborough come knocking, you can stick 100 grand on. Not knock 100 grand off. Yeah, oh. and we all know how the system works. We know this is how lower league football operates. We just don't want it to be like promoted that way. Don't say it. <laughs> so anyway, we learned all our lessons for the summer, didn't we? Got to January. Another twenty-six day search for a manager. Yep. In a thirty-one day window. <laughs> yeah, over over fifty days. This, if we if we include Ben Garner's exit and uh, the recruitment of Scott Lindsay, and then Scott Lindsay's departure and the recruitment of Jody Morris, I think fifty two days were taken up on recruitment, and those are the days we know about because you can bet your bottom dollar there are some days before we found out where they knew what was happening. So that is really quite sensational. Yeah. So somehow January was worse. <laughs> Because you let three very experienced players, and I'm 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 counting readers and experienced players, play some 200 games in the football league. You let McDonald leave on a free, from what I can gather, not replaced. You let Gladwin leave for what 50, 75k, whatever it was. That's not enough money to release such an important player. And Reed again, probably 50, 75k in the coffers. And for what? <laughs> no, to bring in Jake Kane, a pup, a pup. All right, and I don't mean that disrespectfully, but he's a pup. Right, we've had to go out into the free lo- free market and bring in George McEachern to adequately replace Louis Reed. Well done, Sandro. You let the experience leave. You let the height leave. We haven't replaced adequately. The squad's worse, even with Austin. The squad is worse because you still didn't go out and get. A target man striker. Oh, right. In a section I'm titling Sandro Di Michele subsections. Just general things which irk me. Real big personality players. Harry McCurdy, Jack Payne. Hey, not hey. just personality, but a lot of creativity. Not adequate, adequately replaced. Rather than replace Payne, we've just put more games in the Johnny Williams and we've attempted to replace McCurdy with a 20 year old from Leicester who has, you know, performed admirably, but very different profile of player than Harry McCurdy with 25 goals behind him. The standard of loan signings has fallen off a cliff. Ooh. Ooh. I know. I I will maintain. I'll I'll give you Bryn. Yeah. Fine. Blake, Blake, Blake um, Tracy when he arrived? Blake Tracy was a good emergency because we <laughs> yeah, got say, injured. Was a, yeah, he was an emergency. Um, yep. So, half a, a happy there. mistake. Um, there's another one in credit somewhere, isn't there? Oh, do you know what? I'm, go- I'm going to give Dean McKayley a tick on Jeff Cott. Because in terms of calibre, yep. that was a good sign-in 
and I was pleased with that signing. But it still comes back to the fact it was the wrong type of striker. Yeah. Because no one in the building can be that focal point, can be that physicality forward who other people are going to play off, going to get you up the pitch, get hold of the ball. Kieran Brennan was a really bad signing. Dylan Kaji has been a bad signing. Louis Tomlinson. Joe. How did I... Louis? God, what am I saying? God. You're a 1D man. Jo... Sorry, I'm on a rant here. Jo... Uh, Joe Tomlinson. Again, it's hard to give too much credit because he's from Chiseldon. He was at Sunday last year. He loves the club and he was available for loan. Like, it's just so obvious I could have made that signing. And compare that to <laughs> the calibre of loan signing last season. It's good. Ken Kessler Hayden and Louis Barry from the Aston Villa Academy. You know, even if you don't count Barry as a massive success, there's a lot of pedigree. A lot of uh, you know, hoopsbar about those signings. Tyree Simpson didn't look a great signing, but what a great punt that was. Josh Davison, never heard of him, didn't like the YouTube videos. Turned out to be a real, real good workhorse for Swindon in the back half of last season. Nine goals. People hate to give that man credit. He was fantastic for us. I, I wish he, I wish he scored the penalty though. That, oh, that, that's no. that's for sure. Uh, Alex Gilbert is even though, although we didn't see it, he's actually made quite a lot of progress with Brentford this this season. I think he's captain yeah. of their development, their famous development side. So you can see that they'd identified someone that Brentford were excited about. And it just didn't work out, you know, but, but yeah. So, yeah, you know, if we're talking about connections in football, friends in football, which, you know, in that tech director, director of football role, that's almost as important as any data you're analysing. You need to have the foot in the door to have the conversation about signing that player. Um, God, I've covered off in heavy detail about the lack of a target man. I won't get there again, but criminal not to correct it in January. We've spoken a lot about age and career profiles of the replacements for Gladwin, McDonald and Reed. It's a shambles. Um, the free agent sticky plasters in Brewitt and McEachran. I know some of our podcast friends might disagree with me, but I think Brewitt's you know, performed admirably. McEachran looks like a fantastic player, but they're Morris signings. They're sticky plasters that are recognising the fact the squad wasn't built correctly. We seem to have cocked up a, a young Spurs defender signing on deadline day. Yeah, I don't know the ins and outs, but that left us at least one defender short. Yeah, that's um, Malachi Fagan Walcott, for those who yeah. can't remember. Yeah. And, and even if he had signed, would a very green under 23s Premier League defender have come in and solved much? Up for debate. He might be a fantastic player. We might see him again in the summer. So I don't want to cast any aspersions on on young Malachi. Um, on a similar theme, Lewis Ward signed but didn't. What's going on there? Have we ever had an explanation there? It's um, complicated. We wouldn't understand then. Um, we've negotiated a deal to bring in a manager, and we've also made that appointment but then taking another four weeks to get his assistant manager done. Uh, and again, there might be some bad luck there. There might be some silly buggers from Chelsea. But it's all adding to this long list of things that make Swindon Town look like a bunch of Muppets. And yeah, this especially, is my especially, club looking like Muppets. 
especially the secondment, uh, the quite patronising secondment statement, and then we didn't even do a secondment in the end too, <laughs> on top of that. <laughs> oh, and then, if, God, if you want just general ramblings of a annoyed Swindon fan, some of the stuff coming out of the club in terms of like an administration point of view, you had the the poorly communicated, poorly consulted upon hoo-ha around under-16s ticketing, which after much campaigning <laughs> from various places became under-14s, power to the people. The season ticket announcement Ooh. contained a few cock-ups, a few options removed without comms, disabled ticket hikes, even if that was a mistake. You've still published the, the details. Finance options still not established. Do I hear now PayPal's off the table? Yeah, that's correct. Still waiting for still waiting for V12 finance to come up. Is it any wonder season ticket sales aren't going well? Um, God, I don't need to repeat this one. Our attitude and performance in cup competitions this year <laughs> was appalling. And... Um, the way we treated pre-season, the way we carried out pre-season meant that Scott Lindsay, when he got to the second game of the season on the first Tuesday in August, had to rest eight first-team players. And he said that after the match. I couldn't risk it. That is, should be the fittest week of your season. And I went to Warsaw and I was mad. Still a, Still a, Still am. Because that was a joke of a side. We threw the League Cup. A cup we've won. We threw it. Who a cup that cup? it doesn't take long to get plum ties as well. It's not one that you have to wait like three rounds to uh, to to get a Premier League side. You can get a Premier League side in the in the following round, I'm pretty sure. So mm-hmm. that that's some lovely, lovely soapboxing, Dan. Hang and... on. Oh, we're not even done. Oh, it. come on. Um... I gotta get a bed. What's going on? <laughs> um No, let's leave it there. Let's save it for May then. But there's more. We're gonna go more on list we're gonna here. cover this ground again. It's the point of the, the round table is to have more than one voice and to have and to have listeners put their contributions and questions in. But we're recording this on Zoom and the cameras are on, which has been an absolute privilege, Dan, to to discuss without without just staring blankly at a screen. But you have one final haunt. Yes. Uh, just to close up, because this, this should draw a nice line under it. So everything I've said and all the things I've got jotted down, which... I haven't had time to say, we'll save it for me. All of that is against the backdrop of having absolutely superb home crowd backing. Yeah. The average crowds of last year, you know, above nine and a half thousand. And even this year, with all the misery and terrible home record again, and a season that's fallen off a cliff, we're averaging over 9,000 again, and the crowds are fantastic. The fans, are back in the club. The fans are doing their bit. We've got over 5,000 season ticket holders. Not for long. Um, <laughs> we've just purchased We've just purchased the ground using Nigel Eady's fund that he left for the good of all Swindon Town fans in the community. We should be riding the crest of a wave. Mm-hmm. What is all this mess I've just described? Yeah. 
Well, I yeah. will, I will be at Mansfield and renewing my season ticket, so uh, I feel great about that. Yeah. But yeah, go on. And and one I know you like, Rich. So I can't claim your work, but tomorrow, Monday, the third of April, you make it. Sandro Di Michele's been here three hundred days, right? Well, I think it might be today, Sunday. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, so three oh one tomorrow. Congrats, Sandro, for clinging on this long. Um. But that makes it one in six days of his tenure we've been searching for a manager. <laughs> and both of those searches, remember, were in key transfer period. Summer, when you're trying to build your squad, and January, when you're trying to hone, refine, add. And in both, in both windows, we cocked up this season. Yeah, would have never happened had you were offered... Rob Hunter contract and paid pain. No. Pay pain. Next time. That is the life lesson. I don't care how he's done at Charlton. Pay pain. Dan, I think we'll call it a night. Thank you very much. Sorry. The Low Strangers is an independent supporters podcast. Views given do not reflect those of Swindon Town Football Club or their official partners. The music is provided by the great Matthew Kilford and the podcast artwork was designed by Matt in Singapore. What a guy. Thanks for listening. Come on, Swindon. Has a bubble. Hi, Ellis Pod fans, it's JR here. If Swindon players were McDonald's items, who would they be? We've had lots of Big Macs, like the legendary Alan McLaughlin, Harry McCurdy, or even Steve McMahon. Perhaps you'd prefer to channel the power of McPlant, like Darren Ward, or maybe five chicken selects, one to enjoy for each time Ben Gladwin joined. Yep, there's one spare, but there's still time. And you don't need super scouts or data solutions to get your hands on any of these. McDelivery through the McDonald's app brings them all to you. At participating restaurants, 18 plus. Serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.